Greetings, SE land. This is Twig, Anthony Twig Wheeler, here with another episode of Twig's SE Reflections podcast. This is an audio archive created specifically for somatic experiencing students and practitioners and other folks in the helping professions working to integrate the somatic literature and healing arts in their work, helping people feel better in this wayward world. Golly, let's find out what episode number this is actually supposed to be. Going to sereflections.com, looking in the archive, seeing that it's been some time. April 4th, 2020, my last episode on this podcast. That was episode 105. Let's call this episode 106. I think some of you are tracking me long enough that it makes sense to say, like, oh gosh, I got into financial straits and I really had an unfinished, incomplete business going on with a past love of my life. And we had built this remarkable hand-built home together and we'd paused what to do with that when we separated. And I went off and did my SE journeys and teaching and training and all these kind of activities that I was in. And eventually something had to be done with our home. And I tried to buy it from her and I, I couldn't do that. We had built a nicer place than one person could afford, I could afford. And so I had to turn towards selling it both so that I could help pay what I had promised to pay her and to get out of the fact that it was now consuming all of my time and attention and doing other things like this podcast and other things were becoming uh, impossible to do at the same time. So 2020, of course, that's also when the pandemic started and I was doing some online classes at the time. So I kept up with that, but definitely closed the podcast, which was part of the intention anyways. I was attending to work on other projects, but nevertheless, what I really spent the next couple of years doing was finishing the remodel on my home and finding somebody to take it on as theirs. And that did not go as planned originally, so it took longer and that became more expensive and I was efforting. And eventually the right people did come and that was in fall 2021. Yeah, 2021. And that gave me all of 2022 to kind of catch up with myself. And I was working on completing incomplete tasks and uh, downsizing things from my homestead and finishing paying off, working on finishing paying off debt that I'd accrued in this whole process. And one thing leads to the next and somewhere in 2022, I was like, oh gosh, I'm not gonna produce anything this year. I'm just gonna take this personal sabbatical to put my things in order to write my ship and I did that, was working on that, was coming close to my ideal of completion with that at the end of 2022, but I was also not feeling well all the time. And then in early December, I got COVID, which happens. 
it was my first time having that happen, but I got that. And um, my partner got that, and we kind of huddled up in our home while in our little rental that we were in, cute place, and um, got better, and then got worse, and then stayed worse, and stayed worse long enough that I started to wonder why we weren't getting better. And a most remarkable thing happened. I finally came to terms with the situation and realized that our recovery was being complicated by the presence of hidden mold in our house. Hadn't realized it was there. Imagine it was there for some time. During our isolation with COVID and the couple of weeks that we kind of spent really inside of this little space, it clearly became much more of an issue. And by the holidays, just last month, just as I had been planning to finish my little closure and come out into the new year and come back to this podcast project and name out, and kind of make a series of recordings for y'all around mm, a number of themes that I wanted to touch on around SE Reflections and start this other project that I've been working on, Somatic Explorer, and also really turn toward this thing that I've been working on in the background, some of you are aware of, of trying to do more public outreach projects regarding polyvagal theory and prospect of help through somatic experiencing and other kind of somatic modalities that appreciate our psychobiology and our access to well-being through kind of appropriate contact with our nature. As I um, have kind of been working toward that, I really thought for a year, oh, January 2023, I'm going to get going on these kind of productions again, cleaning up my incompletes and moving forward with what comes next. The last month or so turned into one of the bigger stress response experiences that I've had. It was dramatic. I know that some of you, I know, I know a number of you who have had mold exposure experiences and um, some that it's left a longer mark for. I know that a bunch of you know what that's like. I am just coming out of the personal experience of that and um, my client solidarity is up. You know, that's a, that's a podcast in the episode archive on SE Reflections, um, client solidarity time. I have been experiencing some client solidarity time and just my own experience of, whoa, that's what it feels like to kind of have the impression that you're going to die or that you may never be able to, I mean, it gets dramatic, you know, I get dramatic, but I felt terrible. I felt terrible. So um, why, why tell all of you right now about that? Because one of the things I know that I w am going to do and have been planning on doing through 2022 when I was taking my space was when I returned to SE Reflections, 
I was going to do a couple episodes specifically on the VU sound. Because, you know, one, one truth is that part of my work in the world is still SE consultations. So weekly, most weeks of the year, I'm meeting with SE students and practitioners and doing consultations. And many, many folks that I'm working with, the VU sound comes up. And there's some hesitation around it. And then there's a kind of open acknowledgement that it doesn't get used very much, perhaps wasn't understood or appreciated very much in the training. Um, maybe sometimes really, honestly, don't even know why we would use it. And for me, that's, I mean, I, I I get sad. It's not like it's anybody's fault, really, but it, I get sad because it is so important. It's critically important. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, invaluable. I wouldn't want it to be conflated with this is SE. SE is the VU sound. I wouldn't want to give any kind of impression that it's the answer to everything. Just have people do the VU sound with you. That I, that's not what I mean to say, but to have something that has so many important insights in it and practical uses and um, <laughs> proven experimentation by the founder of the work that we're talking about, Peter Levine, you, you watch his demonstrations for a long time historically, always somewhere in the mix. Currently, you see him work with the VU sound a lot. Um, but you've always been able to watch him and say, wow, he uses that a lot. There's good reason. And, and you know, it gets complicated somehow. Like, seems like people will go along with him to do this thing that feels like, even in his words, a wacky little experiment. Um, but somehow people will be more hesitant with us in our offices and they don't want to do this weird thing. And yet, you know, if we understood why we do it and how to introduce it and introduce it in such a way that people were at least willing to participate with it long enough for it to start to show some of its importance or value where their interest grew to it. It may be that this is like, uh, it's not equivalent to quote SE. It's not the answer to all SE things, but it's an integral part of our work and of, um, it kind of expresses central aspects of our work. And we just don't want to miss it. It's helpful. It's uniquely helpful. So I knew that I wanted kind of share you with you my raps on like the many reasons for the VU that we do, the different offers that I've come across that seem to be helpful for people to be willing to engage with it, the kind of pattern of titrating up the experience of it so that it, the interest can grow over time and in my like thinking, say in November, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna close up my incompletes in December." 
start the new year and come out, come out strong, talk to SE practitioners about the many reasons for the VU that you do. And then my whole mold exposure thing happened. And somewhere along my mold exposure experience, I was having sincere, involuntary, asthmatic-like episodes. It felt just the, the way that people with asthma, which I've been close to, um, but I've never personally experienced myself, just as they describe, and genuine, <laughs> way out of my ability to readily control, panic attacks, full-on panic. Mostly from the feeling that I couldn't get my breath, but very much kind of uh, interrelated with like, oh gosh, what am I gonna do? It's winter, my family's ill, we're in this kind of environmentally dangerous place now. Money's running out with every little intervention that I'm doing, trying to get us to a safe place. Things, it just, it was chaotic. Uh, and it was difficult. And I felt bad. I felt bad. I'm going to make a parenthesis comment. In 2022, I was really working in myself while I was doing my own things. How am I going to go back to podcasting like I used to? Well, I'll wait at least this much. Because I don't know, can you hear that? There's a helicopter passing by. It's kind of passing, but it's still here, but it's passing, so I'll continue. I was, I was like, in 2022, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I used to have a studio. I really invested a lot in equipment and everything, trying to make the podcast and the work that I do as kind of like perfect as possible, even though, like, you know, as a small-time producer, it's hard. It's hard to get it where people don't want it to be better or different. And I realized I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. So if I'm going to do any of this, it's going to have to be more colloquial. And then I'll be just in the environment that I'm safe enough and able to do these kind of things. And I'll use the best equipment that I have available. But I, I won't continue to break my bank or effort too much more to make it as good as NPR or something. I'm not. I don't have producers doing these kind of things. And one of those things would be that I have to accept ambient noise. And I used to like record at 2 a.m. trying to like not have ambient noise and there'd always be something anyway. So like a helicopter passes and I'll have to accept that. We'll just have to accept that. Panic asthma-like conditions, I was, I mean, asthma-like attacks, I was kind of in it. And so um, what happened, I'm going to tell you in a moment, but what it's led to is this. Here's my little plan. I'm going to come back and share, I don't know, I think I have like eight or ten podcast episodes on themes that I just know that I really want to touch on with you. And the first couple are on the VU sound. And I've just come through a window of absolute uh, reinvigoration of my appreciation of the VU sound from the inside out 
because while I was in this mold exposure, get back to safety, oh no, my body's freaking out kind of experience that I was just in for a month, five weeks, the Vu sound proved to be, uh, I mean, like, amazing, <laughs> amazing. So here, in this episode, I'm going to tell you three little vignettes of how this happened. And in the next episode, we'll go into, it'd be less about me and more about like, um, what, what, what is it? Why do we use it? What, what can I say about what I understand about why we use it? Where's it come from? What are we, what's it trying to do? What are the prospects of what it could do? Some of its dynamics. And then um, in another episode following that, I'll share some of the patterns that I've heard other people use to invite folks into doing the Vu sound with them and kind of getting its values out of it. And I'll also share others that I've found for myself that I use and, and we'll kind of talk about application. In this one, I'll just make an advocacy. So here you go. Here's this guy you kind of know, you kind of don't know, but you kind of trust me as a paying attention kind of person. I'm ill. <clears throat> I'm ill. Uh, weeks. I go to the ER one day, one morning. I got like eight consults that day, and it's a full day. I missed the first one. Uh, um, I'm in the ER. I'm feeling terrible. I'm like, I got to make sure that I'm not really sick before I try and do a full day of work. And uh, I'm there way before dawn. By eight, uh, and I, eight and nine, eight, I guess I missed my first meeting. So it's like by eight, I'm finally being seen by the doctor who we, we chat and I say, well, you know, I'm, I've, I've got this cold, I guess, after COVID. And he's like, okay, yeah, I got this cold. And we check for pneumonia. And he, he says, yeah, you just had this cold. And I say, well, you know, I'm also thinking maybe my house might have mold. He doesn't come back to that. Uh, he releases me. And by the time I leave, three hours after leaving home, I'm like feeling different. Now, I haven't left home except for very short dog walks for the last two weeks. So this is my longest kind of environmental change cold, rainy, icy, snowy time. So I'm like staying inside. I've been sick. Um, that night, I realized I feel terrible again. I, mean, I felt better being at the ER. So I, I moved my sweetie and myself and our dog down to a hotel that night. And the next night, I go back and I put my protective gear on and I cut out the floor under the sink. And I find that there's been moisture down there and there's this mold growing and I have no idea how extensive the problem is, but I know that this is a problem and that if nothing else, it's not going to help us recover if we're sick with something else. It's at issue. So we start staying in hotels and trying to get out of a remarkable symptom complex of just feeling incredibly yucky. The head totally filled with stuff and throat just burning kind of thing and eyes doing their own inflammation it just i thought i had conjunctivitis you know pink eye two days in the hotel i guess that backs away i start to see over a couple days as i get to a safer place that there are two distinct reactions happening inside of my body one is from inflammation Anything that can make 
a substance. My eyes get extra mm, crusty at night as though they're trying to close up. My sinuses, they, they just fill up with, you know, what they do and they just fill up with stuff and neti pot after neti pot and steaming and like steam bath, all of that to try to move stuff and that's relieving, but there's just so much more always. But over several days of, and this is important, not being re-exposed, I finally figured out, oh, every time I go home, oh, every time I touch something from home, every time I go into my car, every time we, I particularly had a stronger reaction than my partner, but every, every time I could go towards something that hasn't been, quote, remediated, this whole inflammation process in my sinuses takes, takes over again. Terrible. And also, two days away from it, relieving because it starts to move, and then I can start to continue to help it move as long as I don't get re-exposed again. Challenging not to be re-exposed again. But then eventually, I realize, like, okay, if I'm re-exposed, I can kind of flush it out in the next 6 to 12 hours, and I'll feel a little bit more okay. And then my body can deal with whatever else I'm going on with because we did feel sick, genuinely sick otherwise. But then there's this other reaction taking place, and it is independent of my sinuses. And um, I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna groove it, dig it. It's, uh, it, and maybe it takes me a little while to realize it. And, and when I think back on it, I can realize like, while we were in the house, we were barely moving at all. We were really sleeping a lot, just getting up to make tea, maybe getting up to walk the dog on a short little walk, uh, getting up to feed the fire, um, use, the, use the bathroom, but very little movement. So we were really in a conservation state. And when I moved us out, I suddenly had a ton of effort to do. Now it was helpful to get away from the place that was more dangerous because I definitely felt worse inside the house, but other things like things that came with us, clothing, books, any material thing, a kind of extended how long the bad feelings or the re-exposure, more feelings, even got in the wrong hotel room one day and opened the window and had the fan on and then felt the same kind of thing again and then looked at the windowsill and found that, well, it too, of course, the world grows mold and there is mold in this north side of this building in the Pacific Northwest. It's like suddenly everything like that is a stimulus to me. We'll see how long that lasts, but it's definitely like a thing that I have to pay attention to all of a sudden. And I didn't know all of that at first, so each day was kind of its own new insult. Oh, I'm feeling better. Oh, no, I'm feeling worse. What caused that? And that's all the sinus stuff. And then there is this other thing happening where if I try to move too much or if I get too excited or if I get too scared, particularly if I got too scared, I could feel with oh, just so much awareness of it, my heart rate just jumping out of my chest, just exploding, just going kind of a mile a minute at the same time that I would feel my throat having the 
incredible need to like expel to, in order to like get something out as though I was choking, as though I had something inside my throat that needed to come out so that I could breathe through it. And at the same time as that squeezing, choking feeling was happening in my throat, I would feel uh, just a burning throughout the entire entire depths of my chest. I mean, just like through and through. And I was gasping in these scenarios for air. And one night, I, I finally am by myself a bit. Um, usually I'm trying to take care of my little family unit. I'm by myself and I'm tracking these kind of feelings and I'm like, I need a cough drop. And I, I don't have any more cough drops. And I'm like, oh, I really need a cough drop. So I I, I get in the car, it's like 10 p.m., I drive off to the store, I get some cough drops, I come back, I'm sucking on the cough drop, and it's not changing the burning, tightening feeling in my throat at all. So this is the first little vignette. Not changing the first, not changing the feeling really at all. And as I track into it, I have the feeling that my chest is burning, I have like my own catastrophe, capacity to catastrophize thoughts and everything. So I'm like worrying, deeply worrying at the moment, that my lungs are somehow like kind of toxified or they've, they, they've been exposed to mold spores and they're just somehow like something exquisitely bad, inherently bad, continuously bad, forever bad has happened. And as I had those thoughts, the feeling got worse. I felt like I couldn't get any air. And I'm sucking on this cough drop and it's not relieving anything in my throat, which is having a kind of similar kind of like tightening, burning kind of thing. And I'm really thinking about how at this Airbnb I'm at, I am not so far from the ER. And I might need to go there. Like, what's going on? As I have that thought, I think to myself, I'm so glad I could think this. I said, yeah, but if it, if like, say like the CDC is right and mold is more like an allergen and it isn't like kind of toxifying me per se, but it's more like my body's just having a reaction to it, then this is better described more like an asthma attack where like uh, from a Porgesian polyvagal perspective, we could imagine that rather than the respiratory sinus arrhythmia, the like relationship between the heart rate and the breath rate being, as we talk about in advanced one in SE, like coherent, where as the heart rate goes up, the breath also in increases oxygenation and increases carbon dioxide expulsion, and you can mobilize for action. But we we see in like the paradoxical reaction, the contrarian reaction, that the dorsal vagal system can have a kind of abundance of influence on the breathing. And while the heart rate goes up like into a sympathetic arousal, the lungs can get into a kind of contrarian kind of thing. I think I hear it described in different ways, the alveoli, the little air sacs in our lungs, you know, they're like leaves in the breeze and they're like trying to open and close, like 
opening to take in, to let out carbon dioxide and to take in oxygen. And it's all meant to be like a kind of coordinated rhythm with breathing of that opening and closing and tens of, I mean, countless, I guess, tiny, tiny little air bubbles opening and closing together, kind of like right at the transference point between our body and the air inside of our lungs. And if that opening and closing is incoherent, if it's opening and not closing, or it's just staying closed, or it's opening and closing in like random fashion, I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not coordinated, then it feels like you can't get any oxygen and you're ju it's just like you're, you're just striving for air and it feels like you're kind of suffocating. And I had that thought and I said, well, if that's what's happening for me right now, then the VU sound would help. So rather than just going to the ER, I should just sit here for a moment and do the VU sound a couple times and see if it makes any kind of difference. And I'll, I'll be back right after this short intermission uh, to tell you what happened next. Here's a little promotional interlude. One thing that I've been promoting for a very long time is the prospect of more people apprehending and learning SE and feeling competent in its use so that they can help other people feel better. One of the places we see that happen is in the SE training. And that's one reason why I have, amongst others, spent a lot of time assisting. I've also tried to back off and retire from assisting several times, but my desire to help more people feel competent and confident in this work has brought me back upon invitation several times. Stephen Hoskinson, I used to kind of say, this will be my last time assisting with him, and he would bring me back, and I would say yes, and that was always a good thing. And then I tried to step away from the trainings again, and Joshua Silve, he brought me back for a time. Once again, I stepped away. Russell Jones brought me back maybe four or five years ago. I've been assisting at one advanced training with him per year in the US for the last four years. And I'm doing it again this year in Nashville, Tennessee. And we did advanced one last year in 2022. And we're on our way toward Advanced 2 in February 2023, which is short notice. But hey, look, by now, perhaps you know that the training is really expanding. There's a lot more training opportunities and a lot more people coming into the training and a dwindling pool of assistance to support the training. And as the lead assistant for this Advanced 2 coming up in February, I'm regularly thinking about how helpful it would be to have more assistants join our assisting team. So here's a promotion or an invitation. If you happen to be approved for assisting at the advanced training and you have any interest in joining us in Nashville, maybe you get in touch with me. Uh, go to the contact page at sereflections.com and send me a note that shares your interest and we can talk about it. And um, ideally, you can come join us and join our assisting team and 
help more folks as they come to the completion of their training this February in Nashville. That's my uh, invitation and my use of this promotional moment. Thank you. Back to the story. So yeah, back to the story. You've got the picture. I'm weeks into a health crisis. I finally got a little bit of distance from the immediacy of the threat, but my body is still very much playing out a kind of conservation state, which is now a conflict because here I am coming back out into the world trying to mobilize to get safer, get to new places, deal with finances, all of these kind of things. And um, that requires mobilization, but my body is trying to shut me down. And this night that I'm really feeling the edge of this come up and I'm contemplating going to the ER, I have this thought, maybe there's nothing more wrong at this moment than just that my body has gotten into this paradoxical relationship with respiratory sinus arrhythmia where rather than my breath and heart rate kind of working in relationship with one another, they're kind of at odds. So as my heart rate goes up or if I get excited, my feeling of being able to breathe really shuts down and goes into this kind of asthmatic style attack. And late at night, like I said, the cough drop wasn't helping. Nothing was really helping. And I said, okay, well, before you go do anything extra now, just take a moment and do this VU sound. And I quite intentionally did a small, very titrated little VU. VU. And I gave myself a moment to feel myself. And I went ahead and did another one. It was easier to do the second one. So I kind of went with it a little bit more. And then by the kind of like third one, again, kind of giving a moment, the third one, it was noticeably a little bit easier to do it. And then it gave me a something to track. And I turned my attention to this burning feeling that had been happening in my lungs, in my chest. And I witnessed in real time, as I finished those three little VU rounds and entered into this open attention tracking, I felt my lungs get decidedly more uncomfortable. I mean, definitely, definitely what happened. My chest burned more. Uh, the feeling of suffocation increased. Uh, the alarm bells inside of me kind of went off and I had to talk myself down and say, well, be patient, be curious what happens next. And I mean, I don't know, how, how, how do I say this? Like the most incredible thing happened next. I, I, the thing 
that blew my mind happened next. The as though it was for the first time I witnessed kind of the amazing nature of all of this. That burning sensation deep in my chest transformed into warmth. At the same time, as I decidedly felt my body starting to breathe easier, moments later, I, I was kind of sitting on the edge of the bed um, in this Airbnb that I was in, and I stood up and could kind of explore increasing my air intake, oxygen intake, my exhale, my ex expansion of my breathing. I could explore like, oh my gosh, I can catch my breath. Oh, oh my gosh. And my, my mind was blown. It was, I mean, I, I've, I've been an advocate for this. I've known about this. I've experienced other things like this. It's been some time that it was all quite so acute, but within a eight minute, six minute, eight minute window of time from edge of panic, edge of absolute, like, I can't get out of this. This is something terrible. And the witnessing of this thought, well, you know, it's worth a try. And here I go and I try it and I do a specific thing. I make the initial forays into the VU particularly small, make the request a very small, accomplishable, not going to stress out my system, trying to make a big VU sound and doing this kind of small introductory titrated expression of it i was able to do the next one okay it did happen that way a little bit bigger a little bit easier and then that grew and it quite literally turned things around right then right there right then right then moments later i realized that um that would not have happened if I had um, some kind of real problem happening with my lungs. Like if I had, if I had like the image that I had had 20 minutes before that something terrible was happening inside of my lungs, something um, like, you know, fungus growing or toxification or some kind of poisoning or something, uh, there, there's just no way that this VU sound was going to change that. But if what was taking place inside of the feeling state of this burning, this feeling of something being so wrong, if what that was was a physiological action of my, uh, you know, as it were, my breath, my breathing apparatus being overly influenced by the dorsal vagal complex causing um, this discordant 
poor communication with my lungs, causing this kind of shutdown thing, at, essentially calling my body back into a conservation state. And if I could kind of talk to that, if I could play with that, if I could engage that um, in a way to help loosen the, in a word, the excessive vagal break action taking place that was shutting down my breathing, and I could help lift that vagal break, and the vu sound is a good, good way to go about trying to help that happen, or re-regulating the vagal break. And if I could do that, and I found that I could, then the relief was uh, momentarily, instantaneously. It, ha it had this little wave, this little arc of it. It did get worse. And then soon after, and I, I you know, I got to say this, like, I'd been at this for days, feeling this tightening in my throat, this pressure in my chest, this quality of suffocation. I'd really been suffering. All of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, no, I, I, I have an exit for this. I have a slide underneath the chaotic cusp, which I could kind of immediately rationalize, like, oh yeah, right, this is exactly what advanced one is really working off of, and, and kind of when we're talking about energy wells and those kinds of things, that kind of business around syndromal conditions, that's really leaning back on Peter's dissertation work from the late 1960s, where he's looking at what eventually becomes called the chaotic cusp. He doesn't name that, that's coming from chaos theory. He's working with catastrophe theory, a kind of precursor for chaos theory as he's kind of like negotiating the, oh, when he's investigating the conditioning patterns of the nervous system and how if this um, yeah, chaotic rather than smooth transition of state becomes a norm in the body where you get something like this paradoxical reaction that we're talking about here, um, you can't ask it to make a big change or it will take that as a threat. I, could, I couldn't gasp for air. It was just another stressor to do that. And it just made me feel more distressed and reinforced my systems kind of like, don't do that and trying to shut me down. But if I could talk to it in this very titrated, more helpful way, it really could change. It, it could kind of slide under the chaotic cusp rather than going off the cliff of too big a, a deal. I kind of like, in a metaphor, go down where it was easier to slide a feeling state change that then allowed the rest of my body to pick up on that option. And through that night, I, I stayed up late, but I kept exploring like, wow, if I think about my situation, my heart rate will go up. My lungs will immediately feel constricted and, and um, conflicted. And if I let that continue, the feelings will just get worse. My worry will go up and my shutdown feeling will make it harder to breathe. But if I were to pause and do a voo sound, not even a, a big one, not even making a big deal of it, just little little ones, then I could witness over and over through the night 
things that had been completely locked up and at that out of my awareness that they were locked up by now, I could feel them starting to change. I could feel my viscera move. I could feel my gut move. I could feel my belly move. I could remember to my earliest sessions with Stephen Hoskinson back in 2004, where in a, in a kind of initial session, we had a moment where my, my belly kind of rumbled and burped. And Steve kind of leaned forward and he was like, did, did your belly just move? And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I mean, it wasn't like something I paid attention to, but he noticed it and brought attention to it in the moment. And I, I said, yeah, it did. And he said, oh man, that's, that's huge. And at the time I had no idea whatsoever of why that would be huge, why that would be important. But by now, yeah, you know, 18 years later or something, 17, 16 years later, um, as I'm vooing through the night and I can feel my breathing becoming easier each time I do it, and I can feel this exit out of the stress response that I have kind of reminded myself exists, I could feel my belly moving. And over the course of the evening, like it really went from kind of, I, I guess I had been in this conservation state. Of course, there wasn't much movement there. And I, I had gurgling and burbling and, and burping. And essentially my dorsal vagal complex was letting up some. And things were starting to move again rather than being quite so shut down. And the same thing, I could perceive the same thing with this tightening in my throat where the cough drop, the burning sense, the need to hack something up, all of that, um, erroneous, more, at least in my example here, uh, better to say something like the glacial pharyngeal nerve associated to the ventral vagal complex, it was kind of in this constricted kind of behavior where it really was like had the feeling internally that my throat was choked up, clogged up, tight. And as I did these little voo sounds, I could feel like with my lungs, that tightening in my throat loosening and the uh, increasing, I wouldn't say it became easy yet, but the increasing ability to swallow with less obstruction or sense of obstruction was genuinely obvious and relieving. And, you know, so by the time I got to sleep that night, I was hopeful. I hadn't been hopeful. I was growing completely concerned that I had gotten into a situation with this COVID to mold thing that was going to be a long time problem. I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve that worry. It did, I think, I think. But when I found that within minutes, if I hit the right titration with my VU, if I didn't try to like VU so much that it caused me to cough, as an example, I kind of came up with a little line, I don't need to cough, I need to VU. And, and that was one of the things I was constantly kind of coughing. My body was constantly coughing. And if I could kind of relate to that and um, not reproduce that, unintentionally, it might happen involuntarily, but like not to add to it, like trying to hack something up. I didn't have anything to hack up. 
I had a kind of closure in my little metaphor, my, the way that my eyes crested over to not let my eyes take in more essentially spores from the environment in this mold environment that I had been in unawares, but still there was, um, same with my sinuses clogging up for lack of a better word, just really filling up, like kind of trying to bind spores as it were to say, don't come in here, not mine. And, uh, that's all kind of the inflammation response and my nervous system, I think it's just the way that I would see it is trying to do the same thing. It's trying to close things up and say, don't breathe more of this in. Oh, I mean, super relieving. Now the next day I, you know, woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, I'm still in this mess and I still got to figure out what to do and working with the landlords that I renting from and what are they going to do and how are we all going to respond? And one thing's leading to the next and I'm sure that I can't go back um, without proper uh, protective gear, you know, which I, I happen to have as a carpenter. I have all the the gear for it. So I could, I can go home and I, and I realize this, if I do everything right, put on my mask and put on my eye goggles and put on my suit and, you know, go in and deal. And then as I leave, don't bring stuff that hasn't been remediated onward into my life elsewhere. Then I could have some relief from getting exposed again, which helped my sinuses kind of get rid of clear out day by day, some more amount. It took some time really, uh, I'd say 10 days of daily neti pots and all of this kind of thing. And really having to measure not being exposed again, which was for a while kind of impossible not to have happen. Well, the, the great thing is that I, I wake up the next morning. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got to keep this VU thing happening. I got to keep my lungs experiencing this more open, uh, easier to breathe experience rather than reproduce this close up shutdown kind of experience over and over. So for days, I'm like everywhere I went, I, I got a little every couple minutes, maybe every 20 minutes, but sometimes more than that, I'm just doing this little thing under my breath. Uh, it was cold outside. That was a stimulus on my lungs. It made me cough. That just reinforced the reaction. So I'd wear a mask to try not to be so cold. But at the same time, under the mask, I just, I'm like, you know, had, had to go buy remediation stuff. So I'm in the department stores and Goodwill. I got to go get some new clothes. So we're not using clothes that haven't been remediated yet. Every, every store I'm, I got to go get some food, all of our foods in the kitchen and pantry and any of that's just going to give us more exposure until it gets clean. So at the grocery store, you know, you can't hear me. Nobody else knows, but I'm walking down the aisles and I'm just like talking to my system, like, so story number two, maybe, uh, four or five days after discovering that this VU, I mean, rediscovering that this VU could help me slide underneath the chaotic cusp and help me get out of that contrarian, contrarian reaction. I'm checking into a hotel, not staying at home, staying at a hotel, out of the Airbnbs, they, no more options, just between the holidays, 
kind of complicated time for this. So here I am, I'm checking into a hotel. Money has become like crazy weird tight all of a sudden. And um, I'm checking in and I'm, I've made friends with the person behind the counter and we're reviewing the cost of staying there a few nights. And um, I don't know, I guess I, I had the realization that it was kind of at, for now out of my budget. And I had a friend, dear Victoria, a great supporter of mine. And I know that she's gonna wire me money, a little bridge loan to get through this kind of moment. Um, and that's gonna come in any moment, but I, that hasn't happened yet. And yet I'm trying to kind of settle this room issue. And as I look at my bank account, I start coughing. Now, I, I don't expect that to happen. It's totally spontaneous. And there in the lobby, I, I kind of, oh, this cough is real and I got to take a moment. So I kind of wave to Mary and I say, hey, I'll be right back. I don't say that. I, I wave and I'm choking. So I wave and I think that as I kind of back away and I'm trying to catch my breath. And I can't. I mean, I just can't. Uh, I'm starting to make a scene, feel like I'm making a scene. So I decide I'll go outside from the lobby so that I'm not making a scene. And now I'm out in the pull-up area to the hotel. I'm pacing back and forth and I am gasping for air. I'm just the real deal can't get a breath and I'm coughing and I, I know I'm looking for an opportunity to do the voo sound, but I, I can't even get enough breath that I can make it happen. Pacing back and forth, it's getting worse. I realize, oh, uh, the cold isn't helping. Even though I look like a scene, I got to go back inside go back inside, it's the lobby. I take to some of the seats that are a little bit more in the corner. I notice everybody looking at me. I mean, people walking past, people sitting at the other end of the lobby. The Mary offers me water at first. I hear somebody else saying, does he need to go to the hospital? Um, I, I must've been all red, I'm red anyway, so it's easy for me to get red. I'm not breathing. <laughs> I mean, I'm having a hard time breathing in one of those plush chairs. I'm trying to feel the edge of the chair. I'm trying to orient, trying to get things to calm down. And I say, look, you don't have to do anything fancy. You just have to extend your exhalation a little bit. So I, I kind of ex, ex, uh, expel some air, not much. I, a little puff, like, just trying to get a little bit longer on the exhalation. I'm gasping. That's very much a sympathetic kind of thing. I'm trying to get at that vagal break issue wherein within ideal respiratory sinus arrhythmia, the heart rate variability is going faster on our inhale and it's going, uh, the heart rate is going slower on the exhale. And the primary reason for that is the vagal break. And that is in the ideal being modulated by the ventral vagal complex. So it's one of the things is like to try to extend the exhalation so that there's more time for the ventral vagal complex to 
influence the vagal break and kind of slow down, settle the heart rate. Oh gosh, hard to do, but at the same time, each little time that I do it without trying to do so much that it causes me to gasp in reaction to it, so I get the titration right, um, underneath that reaction, extending the exhalation, I finally get to where I can do something like, I mean, like, not what you see in an SE demonstration generally. Generally speaking, you see it performed as like a nice big easy breath and a longer exhalation. This is like the tiniest little expression of it, which often, you know, is missed that sometimes you have to get it down to this smallest titration. Well, here I am, I'm just like barely making a sound and I'm barely extending the exhalation. But each time I get it right, and each time I um, give a moment to feel the difference afterwards, I was able to perceive it becoming a little bit easier to do. And this whole episode, I, I kind of figured out it must have taken about 20 minutes from when I was at the counter to when I went outside, to when I came back to the seep, to where I finally got this initial like little longer exhalation, where I was able to grow that into a little vu, where I was able to grow that into slightly longer, to where like I could literally walk out of this feeling that I needed to go to the ER, where other people were perceiving me as somebody who would at this moment need an ambulance or kind of immediate care. I was able to extend that VU sound and feel my lungs becoming more organized to where the breathing didn't feel stifled. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little ridiculous, but I felt so much better a couple minutes later. I mean, I felt so much better. I danced my way back up to the counter to finish my engagement with Mary and discovered that uh, Victoria had indeed sent me a bridge loan and then Mary was able to kind of do some things and, and a couple minutes later I had my room key and was able to say thanks and, and deep appreciation and was able to vocalize the whole time and wasn't um, constricted in my throat. I had to keep the VU sound happening a little bit in the background as I was up at the catch register but, or the counter. But, uh, you know, it, it's like this craziest, weirdest turnaround. I mean, here I am really feeling that e even though I know that I should be able to get out of this, I can't get out of this to finally finding the smallest little example of it that helped me get out of it. can't imagine anything more relieving. I mean, maybe there is something more relieving, but I, I uh, <laughs> became a believer all over again. I wanted to share one more. A couple days later, my partner and I go to our house to do a little test. Does this place really affect us in this kind of way? Do our sinuses really explode like this? 
we were feeling better. We'd been out. I was feeling a lot better. I'd been out a lot. Um, I had a stronger reaction to it and more interest in having the experience of the difference from the environment. So I really stayed away from all of our things for a couple of days. And then my partner did too on some level. But then we both went back. And at home, I had one of those like uh, pulse oximeters that have become like a thing since COVID times where you've got like this little, you know, thing that your finger goes into. They're not terribly expensive. It's easy to feel that they're not super reliable. Um, they seem to be important as a home health kind of thing to have in the age of COVID. I happened to have gotten one just the week before and uh, got left at home when I moved out. Getting back, I saw it there and I was really curious. And now I'm in the house and I know I'm in the environment that I think, I'm pretty sure at the time, uh, by the way, it really has come to pass. Like now that we've done the demolition and everything, like this was a thing and it was a hidden thing. And it was like a, a hidden water leak issue that was causing this thing that one wouldn't have been aware of until um, it became an issue. But at the time, it's still all in the question. And like, am I here in this place? And before I was just sick and needed to get away or didn't need to get away, but I got better or was the place uh, really influencing our recovery? And it didn't take me 10, 20 minutes of being back in the house that I feel my sinuses burning and I feel my head getting kind of stuffy and um, my ears kind of closing up and burning in my throat. It really, I have now a really acute reaction to these kind of things. Well, I, I did that experiment, though. I put the little pulse oximeter on my finger, and the thing immediately starts beeping at me. I ha had used it a week before. It hadn't done that, and I'm like, what's going on? And my heart rate is well over 100 beats per minute. It's like beeping because it's um, too high. My heart rate is too high. My oxygen, according to the numbers, are not, it's not terrible. It's like 96, 97. It's not great. I'm happy to have that up at 98, 99, 100. But it's not kind of like go to the hospital 93, 92. Um, the pulse oximeter is saying that I have plenty of breath, but my heart rate is just going livid. It's just on a run. And my feeling state really is that it's hard to breathe. As my heart rate goes up, this contrarian reaction is coming on. And so right in the environment of danger, recognizing that this is not something that I'd recommend for anybody else, but I'm there to do this experiment. Does this really bother me the way that I think it does? And in the end, yes, the answer is yes. And in the midst of that, I get to experience or explore, can I get this kind of settling experience to happen with the VU sound, even in the environment that my neuroception perceives and recognizes to be a danger? Yes. And so fun to do it because here I've got this pulse, pulse, pulse um, emitter, um on my finger and it's beeping 
as my heart rate is going so fast and I do my voo, voo, and I wait and I watch as the beeping goes off, as the heart rate number goes down and the oxygen number climbs. So helpful to see. I was feeling it. I'd been feeling it for days before. I'd been exploring it. Um, I'd been shocked by its relieving value that first night. I'd been amazed at in public having a panic attack in the lobby of this hotel and being able to kind of like walk myself out of that by doing the VU sound and orienting by the time I kind of came through, but definitely using the VU sound to help get out of it primarily. And then here I am in the environment that I know has uh, contributed greatly to my issues, knowing that I'm not going to stay there without fixing things, but definitely curious how big is my reaction to this and finding that it's just really latent uh, heart rate up, um, feeling terrible, terrible, <laughs> doing this little VU sound letting my body take in the influence from it, feeling and watching the kind of uh, representation of my internal, some of my internal physiological state change in co coordination with the decreasing feeling of something being wrong inside. So relieving. Now from there, you know, it's like, there's still all of the work and uh, this becomes like a thing. You gotta like find a new place to live and gotta remediate all your stuff. And um, the landlords are gonna do a full remodel of the house. So definitely have to get everything out of there and all of these kind of things come and it's, it's problematic and challenging and all of that. You know, but that's the thing about the stress, about stressors. Like you don't want for stressors per se, but sometimes what they do is they call you forward into your capacities. And um, it's hard to be in those capacities if you can't breathe. But once I had found that even with this contrarian reaction happening over and over, this paradoxical reaction taking place with my heart rate and breathing, I could kind of help reset that is the way some people talk about it, reorganize that, remind my viscera what it's like to have a little bit of free movement, different ways to um, think about what's going on here. But much easier to attend to the needs of my situation once I was able to breathe. I mean, even to um, do my sinus clearing, you know, kind of the inflammation response, it's like, okay, this is so makes sense. The spores get breathed in, come into my sinuses. My body recognizes this as an irritant now, uh, quite instantly creates a inflammation response to try to bind these particles that are not me, that my body doesn't want. Another time wouldn't bother me. It now bothers me. Um, that's a problem, a bummer. Um, but it can literally with time and a little aid get fleshed out, but hard to do that if, if it feels like I can't breathe. And 
uh, you know, not like the thing you'd want to have to do, but reasonable and empowering to be able to do if you can breathe. And once I was able to recover, my breathing became like more or less part of the daily routine to where now it's true when I go back to do my remediation work and move things out, I wear all of my protective gear. But at the same time, if I have a sensation of the sequence starting, I, I don't have to freak out as much. I don't have to worry that it's going to lead to um, something so debilitating. Like I, I kind of watched my body's willingness to come out of that reaction with the right aids. And a central aid of that was of a central feature of the aid that we're talking about here is that I was able to tell my lungs a little bit more of how they wanted to work and let that have an influence rather than get caught in the signal of them doing the kind of shutdown thing, which is another way that they wanted to work, but it wasn't the way that was helping me once I needed to get out of the conservation state and uh, in a new environment mobilize for my self-protection. So I could have started this podcast, episode, these episodes back up, which I have a couple that I like to review. Um, I knew that the VU would be the thing I wanted to come to first. I didn't expect to make the first reflections on it personal. It's easy, it's easy to see how we could keep it very practical and scientific based and kind of like, you know, application. I'm happy to come back and do that. But now that this experience happened and um, these groups of experiences happened, and my advocacy for this little activity is just so high. I, I wanted to say to you, dear listener, SE student practitioner, um, it's for very good reasons that we explore something like this and having practiced with it before and being able to lean on it in this moment of real need and distress. I don't know how else to say that. It was kind of like transformative. It was, I mean, it's not like anything I haven't been working on, but it was reinvigorating. It was life affirming. It definitely reminded me of the power of SE and um, the insights that Peter Levine has found and shared and the polyvagal theory helps to explain and other folks have refined and the transmission of that to me through folks like Stephen Hoskinson, um, witnessing it with so many people, practicing it myself, using it to good end in other circumstances, but never quite such a crisis. But then in the midst of such a crisis, feeling its absolute uh, unique helpfulness. I, 
I, wa I wanted to kind of make an advocacy for you to consider that even if it's not been something that you've invested a lot of attention into or really grokked from the training per se yet, that um, I'm going to come back and share a couple more episodes specifically around it. Uh, I know other people could do something like that too. I'll go ahead and add my voice to the mix to say that um, there are ways to approach this with yourself and with others that help it to have its potential value and both in session and in life-challenging times, it can be just so um, nice to have with you. So keep your curiosity up about it if you haven't already invested fully in it, and uh, we'll talk more about it in some upcoming episodes. Okay, that's Anthony Twig Wheeler sharing you this advocacy to um, slide underneath or along the chaotic cusp and using the Vu sound as a way to uh, get the right titration to help a wayward physiological response, a kind of contrarian paradoxical reaction happening to uh, find more of the rhythm that it would it would feel better if it was doing <laughs> definitely yes that's what I have to share today and uh, I look forward to being with you a little bit more as 2023 comes on okay wishing you well out there absolutely take good care here's a little tracking twig moment for episode 106 we'll keep this real short I am offering consultations. I have been um, consistently for some years, um, but I am again in 2023, and my schedule can be found at sereflections.com backslash schedule, or you can see it in the menu with uh, the word schedule. And I'd only look forward to talking SE with you and about your studies and your work and seeing how I can be of help if that's of interest to you. There are other people that help uh, fulfill SEP requirements for the training, but I'm one of them, can sign at all levels of the training. And again, would only enjoy talking about your work with you and your application of SE. So feel free to join me sometime for a consultation as 2023 goes along. Okay, that's that.